Hello and welcome to the Native Angelino podcast in conjunction with the 1929 newsletter. It is the tail end of Memorial Day weekend 2022. The U.S. stock market closed the end of last week at approximately 4160 on the S&P 500 which is approximately a 10% bounce off what we'll learn is an important level at 3815. Crude oil, West Texas, is at $118 a barrel. Gasoline this past weekend averaged $4.62 per gallon nationwide, and we're well over $6.5 here in California. Inflation and stagflation remain buzzwords and of concern. The war in Ukraine rages on. Coronavirus continues to rear its ugly head, although nothing like what it was one year back. We had a week that included another terrible mass shooting at a school in Texas. Housing prices have slipped slightly in some regions, which I suspect is a result of mortgage rates north of 5%. The question is, why is the stock market up? I suspect that this is a bit of a bear market bounce and we're headed further down. But what do I know? When evaluating the health of the marketplace and seeking to put value on the market overall or individual securities, there are two primary methods for doing this. What we call fundamental analysis and technical analysis. Most people are familiar with fundamental analysis, which looks at things like the particular products a company has and you know compares one company's to another, you know, GM's car to Ford's car, and looks at earnings and revenues and balance sheet items. Technical analysis, which may be less familiar to the average person, although of much greater importance as computerization and algorithmic trading has entered the marketplace. Uh, Technical analysis uses patterns and price and charts and looks at past trading activity as indicators of the market or the securities future price movement. You can think of it as a pictorial way to try to get a feel and a look at the psychology of trading. Is a student of technical analysis, or perhaps I should say a professor of technical analysis, 
as she is a veteran of more than 20 years studying the markets. She is known for clear, concise work and has a talent for explaining complex terms or concepts in an easily understandable manner. And Katie Stockton launched her company, Fair Lead Strategies, in 2018 and has recently launched an ETF under the symbol TAC, T-A-C-K, which she'll talk about, which is a, an ETF based on her strategy and technical analysis. It's a large cap, uh, it's an ETF made up of large cap sector funds. Uh, they've just crossed 100 million in assets. And uh, so, as I mentioned, she'll talk about that. So without further delay, I will introduce Katie and ask that if you enjoy this podcast, that you share it and uh, obviously comment or ask questions. And again, thank you and enjoy the discussion. It's unique and informative. Hello, it's Thursday, May 26, and I'm pleased to welcome Katie Stockton of Fair Lead Strategies to the program. Uh, Katie is a technical analyst, and we'll let her explain what that means, but someone I've known for a, a very, very long time. And uh, Katie, would you introduce yourself and talk a bit about what you do? Of course, Tom. Thanks so much, and I appreciate everybody's time. So as mentioned, I am a technical analyst. Um, we actually have a designation, which is a CMT or Chartered Market Technician. And what we focus on are price trends in the markets. And my market tends to be usually the U.S. equity market. So that's what I tend to talk about most. And that's what I try to understand the most. And of course, there are times at which it's very difficult, like right now. So it's probably a timely conversation to that end. So we're trying to navigate markets by understanding price trends, momentum, and other forces like overbought, oversold readings, relative strength, looking for spots of leadership and weakness. And we're trying to leverage that in, in an understanding of the psychology behind the marketplace. We really believe that you know, with all the information out there, it all boils down to a buy or sell decision as it pertains to securities. And those buys and sells obviously reflect supply and demand for all the known information. So it's our job to try to understand not only what the prevailing trends are over different time horizons, but also to try to understand when those trends are turning. And that's how we add value to our clients. Uh, you know, we're looking at short-term risk metrics, um, trying to discern upside objectives, downside objectives, and, and generally just help them navigate the market. I understand. And Katie, with regard to the CMT designation, does my memory serve me correct in that you were either the youngest or the youngest woman to get the designation? You know, I was the youngest <laughs> female <laughs> to receive the designation at the time that I did, which is 2001. So it's pretty amazing that you remember that. I um, I started with the discipline in college, and uh, that was fortunate because it is somewhat of a, a narrow um, expertise. 
particularly for uh, young people. It's not something that's offered in a lot of colleges, certainly more than was the case in the late 90s now. But um, I went to University of Richmond in Virginia, and we were lucky enough to have some coursework in technical analysis. So I had my CMT level one uh, by the time I graduated from college, and I'd also been fortunate enough to have an internship at a firm called Dorsey Wright and Associates, and and they provided technical research, and uh, I worked there for about two years during college. So I was really set on a a path to um, technical research at a very young age, and then, of course, moved to San Francisco from there, and, and the rest is history as it pertains to my career, which has you know had some uh, variances around that theme of technical analysis, but always um, applied it on some level. And most recently, that has looked like a, a technical strategist position on Wall Street um, in Manhattan. I worked at BTIG most recently, which is a uh, sort of a, a broker dealer and investment bank headquartered between Manhattan and San Francisco. And I was there for four years publishing technical strategy research to institutional investors. And I, I wanted to start on my own, which uh, we started Fairly Strategies in 2018, um, in part because I wanted to reach a broader audience. I, I noticed that there was a real appetite for technical analysis, not just from the institutional um, side of, of the um, sort of investment market, but but also from the retail side. So individuals, and of course, you saw more and more of it in the media, and I just felt that, that there was a broad audience for it. So now we, we purvey research uh, to both institutions and individuals. Uh, that tends to be sort of U.S. equity centric, but with an eye towards everything macro and as how well. How do you get paid for that research? We have a subscription business, and and that's become more commonplace in the market as well. In that uh, we have research reports that we're authoring uh, almost every day. At this point, we're producing content for our subscribers, and that content ranges in its focus. But uh, we have a comprehensive weekly report that covers uh, the U.S. equity market sector rotation and relative strength, various themes, something like small caps versus large caps, or growth versus value, or you know what's happening in China from a technical perspective. It also goes over things like gold and crude oil and the dollar and treasury yields to give a complete picture of of the technical posture of the market over different time horizons. And that is supplemented by short-term commentary. We do some work on cryptocurrencies. We even do work on cannabis. Uh, So we have a lot of variance around that core research product. Um, So we do that. We also provide consulting services, somewhat similar to what we actually did when we were on Wall Street. Uh, but under this different subscription model. Uh, And and we've actually found that uh, the folks that subscribe to our our consulting are largely um, individuals or family offices. And and that was somewhat surprising to us. We we didn't really expect that. Uh, But there's a lot of uh, family offices and and individuals who are highly interested and involved in the markets and um, many of whom were disenchanted at one point with their financial advisors and um, you know, wanted to be a bit more of an active participant. So that, that's been a great sort of area of growth for us. And over the last 20 years, let's say, since your 2001 designation, uh, what are the, mo- the major changes you've seen in the markets? 
Well, a lot. Um, so where do I start, right? 20 years. Um, so as it pertains to technical analysis, which is really my, my narrow area of expertise here, um, it's changed a lot and not in the methodologies and the indicators and the tools that we use. That's actually really remained the same. Just people have gotten creative in different ways to look at it and obviously leveraging the technology yes. and, and uh, you know, uh, software that we can now just cover so much more ground with. So, so the advent of, of the software programs that we're using, I mean, boy, that it looks nothing like it, what it, it looked like in 2001. So we're, our capacity has certainly increased um, due to technology. We can be spread more thinly in terms of what we're looking at. You know, think about a market scan. Uh, well, it goes a, a lot faster these days, of course, than it did 20 years ago. So that's been great. Uh, but really, the methodology for us has developed over the years. And um, we're using indicators that, in some cases, were developed literally in the 1800s. Such as. So, so it, such as the Ichimoku cloud model. And that's a Japanese model that was developed by rice traders. Um, and that, that's the one that goes the farthest back. Uh, but it was their way of recording price trends, and it holds a lot of value in our work. So there, it's it's all very mathematical what we do, and, and obviously these things were established, you know, well before we had, uh, you know, the computers to crunch the numbers. So there's some that are very simple, um, and some that are more complex. But um, together, we we feel like we get a good, um, more objective view of the markets and trends by using these mathematical indicators. Um, but in terms of the market structure, composure, obviously the participants have changed. I found that most recently they've gotten much younger and certainly, um, you know, much, well, maybe that's always the case as I get older, right? Um, but also with the, the advent of the uh, cryptocurrency market, that's, I think, really instilled this new interest in markets in general among uh, younger investors and, and also the access to information that they have is just so much more uh, robust than what we had when we were young. So, so it's really brought in this sort of new flux of young, hungry, interested investors. And, and I actually don't mind for that reason that we're going through this down cycle in the markets, broadly speaking, because it's good to get one of those out of the way early in your career. So, so for the young people to see a down cycle, and that's going to help them in their investing longer term because they'll they'll realize that things, um, you know, don't go up all the time, and there are risks. And here's how how bad it can get, and here's how to navigate through that. Um, so certainly, uh, in terms of the investing public, that composure feels like it's changed to me. And then in terms of the market itself, um, I've never been one to focus much on volumes. Um, in the very early stages of my career, I did. Uh, but I found that they started the, the volume data started to lose its value to me, at least, in that you, you would read a textbook and it would say, well, if you see a price trend, you want to see volume growing as that price trend uh, persists. And, and when it stops growing, well, that's an indication that the trend might be tiring. Well, that just stopped working. Um, and I think what had happened uh, that that took away from the value of volume data was, was the advent of alternative products like exchange traded funds. For one, uh, those you know obviously skew the volume in in various stocks at least, and um, you know derivatives products of course have been uh, a big change in terms of market offerings and, and certainly have impacted volumes. Um, and then we have algorithmic trading, which has contributed to 
um, you know, sort of gamesmanship, I would say, around different levels on the charts that we're using. Um, you know, one of our very um, common metrics that technicians tend to focus on is the 200-day moving average. And the 200-day moving average, you'll sometimes see a flurry of volume uh, come in around that level. And that's probably not because a lot of people are sitting there watching it, but there's a lot of programs that have the 200-day moving average as an input, and these programs put in automatic trades, um, you know, to to foster their strategy. So it's been really interesting to see all of that. If anything, it's it's created I call it time mm-hmm. compression. That's just my term. I don't know um, if that, that means anything else uh, than how I'm using it. But but what it means to me is that what used to take you know weeks now takes days. What used to take months now takes weeks. So it just feels like we've, we've gotten this sort of compression. Um, and with that, we have more challenges and, and we're a little bit, um, I guess we're forced to become more short term in our orientation. Very interesting. And to put it in perspective and perhaps make you feel young, my first down cycle after a year in the marketplace was 1987. So uh, <laughs> I hope that helps a little bit. And but, you, but you'll no, never forget am, it, right? Absolutely correct. Having that early in my career uh, was a very, very good bit of training that you can't get any other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. And you're probably losing a lot less when you're <laughs> that young <laughs> than when you're fully invested later absolutely. in life, right? And then, you know, the, the big change, you know, I've seen, obviously, technology, but what I call is the, the that you alluded to, the Googleization of information whereby it's free, it's cheap, it's easily accessible, and things just move uh, much, much more quickly. So the, the time compression comment makes, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll talk about your newly released ETF, the, the simple tax, shortly. But before we get specifically to it, uh, do you use a macro overlay or, or you know, the, the kinds of things that I'm thinking about are you know, when you've got big changes with, you know, liquidity being removed from the system in a large way or something like this, or a down cycle mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. know that rising interest rates has a negative impact on stock prices and PE compression has a negative impact. Do you, do you use these overlays in any way or does it just come out in the numbers for you? You know, we, we are not macro in our orientation, except to the extent that we read a lot of macro research. <laughs> I have a lot of friends. I, I say I roll in sort of <laughs> macro circles <laughs> because I have a lot of I have a lot of friends who that is their primary discipline, and I, I value their opinion. So I read a lot of their research, and um, I, I find that it, it's all. Um, obviously very informational. And it, it's one of those things that answers why something is happening. And it, it also tends to be very long-term and focused. So it's not perfectly aligned with what we're doing in that rather than trying to understand why something's happening, we just simply want to know what's happening. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we just want to know how all of that information is impacting price. That mm-hmm. That's our area of focus. Uh, but we do find it interesting, and we certainly know that a recession is on the radar, and, and that might uh, sort of set a different tone in our mind. But we're going to, before letting that subjective sort of view influence how we're feeling about the markets, we're going to adhere to our indicators first. So we're always going to give more weight to 
the technical indicators than any of the news that we hear or any of the um, data that, that to us is longer term in nature. Um, so we, we tend to be a little bit more short term in our orientation because that's where we feel we can add the most value. Um, whereas the long term trends, as you can imagine, really are driven by exactly that. They're driven by liquidity and the Fed and uh, macro forces, not to mention fundamental research, uh, you know, as fostering. These are these long-term earnings trends. These are the most important drivers of stocks. And yet we don't focus on that uh, because we're trying to create an unbiased look at the chart itself, which of course reflects all the supply and demand for not necessarily the company. You want to think of it more as a security uh, representing the company. And, and that brings up something important in that the security um, unfortunately doesn't always uh, stay in lockstep with the company's fundamentals. Uh, so there's, we call it navigating the gap between that uh, sort of fundamental trend and the actual trend in terms of the, the stock price, because there can be major, major uh, times of, of dispersion and disruption in those, those relationships. And oftentimes when you see a stock acting poorly, despite very strong fundamentals for the company, it's wholly related to the market, right? So we tend to see correlations go very high on the individual stock level when the markets are going down, for one. Um, so investors are just penalizing every stock. They're not as focused at that time on fundamentals. Um, so so we can help navigate those types of environments. Especially. So in those environments known as throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes it feels like you can't find anything that looks good from a technical perspective. But thank goodness the market's you know global and there's alternative asset classes. With that in mind, I've seen you on a couple of programs over the last couple of days and the lower band of the S&P, I believe you suggested perhaps 3,200 which is down 20% Yeah, so, so to me that and seems... Uh, I wouldn't disagree. Mm -hmm. I'm just interested to know technically how you've uh, come up with that number. Yeah. So, so we look at things called support and resistance levels. Think of support as a potential area of buying pressure or demand and resistance as a potential area of selling pressure or demand. There's a lot of different ways to discern these levels. Uh, one would be something like the 200-day moving average, as mentioned. You do find that sometimes those moving averages, maybe in part because they're so widely followed, become important support or re resistance depending on the prevailing trend. And also we use things like Fibonacci retracement levels. So getting really mathematical here um, to try to understand where a natural retracement would be of a prevailing trend. And Fibonacci, uh, the sequence is really fascinating for those who, who have spent some time on it. It's not just found in markets, it's found in nature. And we, we really rely upon those Fibonacci's as well. So uh, that that 3,200 level is based on a Fibonacci retracement. It happens to be a 61.8% retracement of the S&P 500's uptrend off of the pandemic low in March 2020. And it's just often a place where uh, we find buyers step in. Now, uh, we don't have that as our, an official downside target. We're not really trying to be ultra predictive in our research. In fact, we're really just trying to keep people on the right side of prevailing trends and give them an understanding 
of, of what risk might be if something breaks down. So we always have defined risk metrics. And before that 3200 level becomes relevant, uh, we have some interim support first uh, residing around 3815 based on another Fibonacci retracement level. And that's serving as the staging ground for an mm -hmm. oversold bounce here, which is again, very natural. We suspect that level will be broken just given the loss of long-term upside momentum that we've identified really as of late last year. And we think we'll kind of stay with the market for another few months, potentially based on what we're seeing. So, so we are trying to manage risk. We're trying to capture some of these relief rallies just as a way to um, you know, use as a selling opportunity or put on some market hedges for those that have to remain exposed. So we're trying to navigate the short-term swings, uh, but within uh, what we consider to be a bear market cycle within a secular bull okay, trend. Okay, so let's just describe that. A secular bear cycle. What are you describing here? So bear, yeah, bear, cyclical bear, cyclical bear secular so bull. Mm -hmm. what you're saying mm -hmm. is the long-term trend remains solid upwards, but a downtrend is what we're facing now. Right. So it, almost think of it intermediate versus long, mm -hmm. long term. <laughs> so in a downtrend right now, we've even seen heavyweights like Apple break down. So we're, we're being respectful of that as something that should uh, keep the market in a downtrend for potentially a few more months based on what we're seeing. And just really based on historical averages using the technical indicators that we adhere to. Um, so that that's how we get a sense of time horizon. Uh, but we're also um, really never married to a view. I mean, the market's dynamic, and if it changes, we try to respond to that pretty quickly. And so, uh, I think you'll you'll probably know that technicians are are not as as committed to their views. I, I think if something changes, um, you know, we're, we're pretty quick to change with it. And that happened. I think technical analysis, in fact, really got a a good name um, in two thousand and eight when so many technicians. Uh, were vocal about the bearish reversal, uh, and and a lot of other folks just wrote it down. So I think that 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 was a very good period in a way for technical analysis, and helped it gain some credibility among the skeptics in the out there. Relatively short run, what would it take to break the long term uptrend? You know, for me, it, it is that thirty two hundred level. So I'm glad you brought that up because below a sixty one point eight percent Fibonacci retracement, you tend to see a full retracement of the uptrend that you're using to uh, gauge that level. And as you know, that that would take us back to the March 2020 low for the S and P five hundred. And unfortunately, that would mean that we're we're getting into a support or, or go, going through uh, below a support level that defines the secular bull trend. So we really we really want to see that thirty two hundred level hold if we were to see the market get to it, uh, because it is kind of a key breaking point of that secular bull trend in our opinion. Um, so, so certainly important to focus on the levels. And then also, of course, the indicators that we use, which are really better um, on, on the monthly um, bar mm -hmm. charts that we're using, those indicators would probably have implications of no more than nine to 12 months. Um, if we were to get ultra long term, we'd have to use a, a different like a quarterly right. chart or something like that, which we don't tend to uh, spend any time on in our work. Uh, but as it stands, we're making the assumption that this is just a, a bear market cycle. What was the March context. 2020 low? 
March 2020 low was, I'll give you the number, it looks like it was about 20, 2192. Right, so that's a ways down. So naturally, I know it feels like ancient yeah, history, doesn't it? All right. So with your permission, I'd like to spend the rest of our time talking about uh, Fairlead Strategies and the ETF you've launched. Uh, maybe we can just start from the top and I'll listen and you uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, by all means. And this is a new product for us. In fact, it's our first um, investable product and uh, it launched in March. It's called the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF. And as mentioned, this symbol is TAC or T-A-C-K. It's listed on the NYSE. And it's an exchange traded fund that's designed to leverage sector uh, momentum and relative strength. So we, we really believe that the way to outperform the broader market is by being in the right sectors, uh, you know, to be following the momentum there and making sure that you have concentrated exposure in those sectors. If, if you look at the sector returns year over year, you'll really see a huge spread. I mean, this year is a little unusual in that we have energy is posting something close to 50% returns year to date. And then the next runner up is in negative territory. So, so are, are so we talking S and P sectors here? S and P sectors. Yeah. So it's, it is a U.S. large cap equity focused fund, but it has this risk off piece to it. And it's a major differentiating factor of the fund in that it has the ability to manage risk by moving into uh, risk off categories, including gold, short-term treasuries, and long-term treasuries. We're doing this all via the spider ETFs or, or state street ETFs, which are very liquid, very low in their expense ratios. And so we're considering the 11 sector ETFs, sector spider funds, for inclusion in the strategy. And we're using our technical methodology, which we've isolated into a set of rules. It's somewhat um, complicated, but the, the goal is simple in that we're really trying to leverage the momentum. And by, by applying our technical analysis to these um, sector spider ETFs, we, we come up with uh, any number that will meet our requirements. And if there's 11 of them, well, we're gonna take the top eight and that will be our portfolio. If there's only eight, we'll just take eight and we'll, that's our portfolio. However, when we start to lose that participation, meaning some of these sector ETFs are not trending higher, they don't have the momentum mm -hmm. that we're requiring. Uh, if say six of them are, are hitting our filters, but um, you know that's all we have. Well, then the, the remaining buckets, so those remaining two buckets will be divided equally between those uh, the gold, short-term treasuries and long-term treasuries. And we find that over time, that kind of slow risk off movement is really incremental um, you know, year over year to performance in that it, it minimizes drawdowns over history. And um, that, that, of course, is at the end of the day of what a lot of us are trying to do. Um, you know, we want to have the U.S. equity exposure, but we want to feel comfortable, like we won't, uh, you know, be dragged down in this type of environment in particular. So when the fund was launched at the end of March, um, of course, it, it was a very difficult environment for the equity market. So it's sort of proven its muster in terms of reducing the drawdowns um, associated with the, I think it was about a 15% drawdown already since we've seen um, for the S&P 500 since the inception of, of TAC. And TAC was down at its lowest point, about 7%, and is really participating on the upside too. So, so it's doing what we would hope it would do in this kind of environment. 
and it's um, essentially, uh, you know, uh, just just shy of where it was actually launched. So it's it's really held on to its um, sort of trend here, which is is exactly. So in what fact, you're essentially flat right now with the market being down substantially more. Essentially flat. That's right. That's what I mean. Yeah, and and to be flat in this market is very welcome. Absolutely. I think you know so many folks have ridden um, you know the market lower and, and watched positions that they felt were safe, like in Apple, really go against them, um, and this creates some downside protection by moving into those risk off categories and also uh, you know at times tilting more defensive in the sector exposure. Right now, for example, the fund is about half um, sort of divided on those risk-off categories. And then the other half is uh, mostly defensive sector exposure like utilities and consumer staples. Um, but then it also has an energy component to it because energy is working. Um, energy is, you know, may not lean defensive, but it, it's a sector that has maintained positive momentum and relative strength. So it's been right to have that exposure and it's been beneficial to have that exposure um, at a higher percentage than the S&P 500 does itself. So that's really the dynamic and active component that can um, you know, enhance performance. So if you have, for example, eight uh, elements to your risk on position, are those eight elements equally dollar weighted or do you weight them according to the strength mm-hmm. of the uptrend, shall we say? They are equal buckets. And we found that what that ends up doing, it, it actually rewards some of the smaller sectors in the S&P 500. So especially like like what I just said about the energy sector, the energy sector is a very small piece of the S&P 500 and it's cap weighting. Um, so we found that over time, having that equal weight exposure to the winning sectors was um, really beneficial. There are times at which maybe sector um, positioning or sector momentum and relative strength will be highly concentrated in a sector that has a big big footprint like technology. And that's where you would expect TAC to lag a little bit in terms of the versus the S&P 500 because it will have a smaller footprint in technology than the S&P 500 itself would be. Um, exposed to so so that's what we would expect um, but there I think what we found over time is that the participation was such that um, you know we were still involved and then also had that kind of risk off piece to it um, in our models that helped prevent uh, really riding the market lower when it did reverse. are there 11 total inputs or 14 so 14, a good point, 11 sector inputs and then three risk-off so inputs. So could you, you could theoretically be 100% exposed to the market. Yes, yeah. So it can go from 100% to All zero. Right. <laughs> um, a zero, a zero sort of, or fully risk-off portfolio would be one-third gold, or GLD, as an ETF representing gold, one-third short-term treasuries, and one-third long-term treasuries. And that, that um, in our models, doesn't happen often, uh, as you'd imagine. It's really very rare that I would go to that complete risk-off position. Uh, but it has happened, and, and you can probably guess which markets it, you know, mm-hmm. it would happen in. Um, and, you know, that's really been a great sort of protecting factor based on our model. So if, just so I understand the math, let's say you had uh, eight risk on positions. Does that mean you're 56, 56% long 
or 56% exposed. So um, for, for the eight long positions, we're actually just eight buckets are going to be each about 12 and a half percent. So that will be eight buckets totally in 100% exposure. Okay. And then how would you then slide to risk off exposure from that? So you're looking. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat unique in that if, if one of those buckets isn't being filled by one of the sector ETFs, then we take that bucket and divide it one third, one third, one third into the risk off categories. And um, it's that diversification of the risk off piece that we find a lot of value in. If if you notice this year, especially, I mean, look at what uh, treasuries did in, in Q1 of this year. It was not what people would have expected. So they they traded uh, very you know sharply lower alongside the equity market. So they weren't providing the safety um, that that folks would attribute them to. So I, I think that that kind of um, lack of the normal correlations over history. Uh, by diversifying that exposure, you you minimize the risk that you carry with any singular asset class. I, we we found that uh, a lot of asset allocation models and, and funds tend to move wholly into long term treasuries uh, as their component. Uh, but we we find that um, diversifying that into you know things like gold are really helpful and just don't they take away some of that concentration risk and. You've had a pretty decent ramp in the first month or so. Uh, you're at about 100 million in assets now. Yeah, we just hit about 100 million yesterday, so it's it's been really well received, and I think it, it's in part because the market, um, you know, it, it's a, the market that we we launched in um, allowed it to sort of prove itself and and what it's it's very good at doing um, in terms of relative performance. If you look at um, the trend relative to the S&P 500 for TAC, it is a pretty solid intermediate term uptrend. And that, of course, um, you know, has been appealing to folks in this environment. We, we find that, um, you know, people are sort of throwing up their hands and say, well, what, well, what do we mm-hmm. do here? <laughs> because we're not accustomed to this. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of folks that worry that they won't get back into the market quickly enough if they go down to uh, very low exposure to U.S. equities. So they they largely want to keep some exposure to U.S. equities because they know that coming out of these types of environments, um, you know, it, one sentiment is usually so affected that it, it's really hard to get back into the mentality of of buying and building exposure, um, so that the you know benefit of TAC is that it, it does it for you. So it knows. Uh, from a momentum perspective when risk off is appropriate, but it also will dynamically uh, rotate back into these risk on sectors when it's appropriate. And that's based on the long-term indicators. So it it will eliminate some of the noise found around V bottoms and things like that, but it will capture, um, you know, longer term trends and shifts. And for those interested in reviewing and purchasing the ETF, it can be done through all the major platforms? Yeah, I think all of them um, on some level. There's a couple that we're still not onboarded with, but, um, you know, most of the platforms and Schwab, for example, and uh, you can call your advisor and they can usually get access to it. So it is um, it is pretty accessible at this point. I, I can't say it's all, but um, we're getting there. All right. So <laughs> one, one final, uh, is there anything that I should have asked you about that I haven't or anything you'd like to add in closing? 
Oh gosh, Tom. I mean, there there is so much. I think if anything, it, it's mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies because um, what I found is, you know, I think about what I get the most questions about these days, and the questions about the cryptocurrency market are coming from folks that are are not even remotely close to investing in it because it's on their radar. And um, what I will say about that is that um, technical analysis to me is one of the best ways to approach cryptocurrency investing or trading because it is a very sort of pure supply demand driven market. It's, you know, these trends are are adherent to the all of the technical indicators that we use. So um, especially because I, I sense that, you know, some of us don't have the best understanding of what we're investing in at times right. here. It's great to have these technical um, tools and trends on your side in a market that's largely, un, you know, or misunderstood or, or not, um, you know, fully mature in some ways. So, so we really have found a lot of value in applying our indicators to cryptocurrencies and it seems to be getting And crypto is included in your general subscription? Uh, we have a separate subscription for that. It, it's um, just a weekly report that we're putting out, and we'll be speaking at a conference soon. Uh, the Con CoinDesk Consensus Conference is coming up. So, uh, you know, we've been learning a lot ourselves about it. And, and of course, we have our unique approach, um, but it, it's really fascinating to us. And, um, you know, we're in, of course, a down cycle in the likes of Bitcoin as well here. And we've seen with that down cycle, uh, cryptocurrencies really take on the character of a, a risk asset as opposed to the sort of gold alternative that some might have hoped it would be um, earlier on. And, and maybe someday it does prove to be that. But but for now, the correlations are, are pretty high with the equity market. So it's been And then finally, for someone interested in the subscription, is it just a matter of going to your site? And is it accredited investor only or... Yeah, very simple. And, and and anybody can subscribe, so they don't need to be accredited. And, and they can sign up for a free trial for a month via our website and and try to understand, you know, the methodology that way. And usually we'll do an introductory teach-in or something of that nature. We also do quarterly market calls and uh, we're, we're pretty communicative. So um, I encourage folks and to check it out. And correct? Uh, and well, the research goes strategies. through Fairlead strategies, and then uh, TAC can you'll find lots of information about TAC on fairleadfunds.com. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Of course, Tom, it's Pleasure's nice to catch up. Night. We'll speak soon. Bye bye. Okay, take care.